Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Five years ago, I sat down with Ice Cube in L.A. for a couple of really extended interviews. He and Dr. Dre were on the cover of Rolling Stone for the Straight Outta Compton movie. We talked about the origins of N.W.A. and a whole lot more. Right now, N.W.A.'s Fuck the Police is seeing a remarkable increase in streaming numbers. It's up something like 287% week on week, according to Alpha Data, who handled the data behind Rolling Stone's own music charts. And that is, of course, against the backdrop of protests all over the country against racism and police brutality. We played a bit of it on the show a couple years ago, but we're going to start off with a segment that's never been heard before. Let's get right to that. Where were you during when the when the verdict came in and the riots started? Like, what was your actual experience of all that? I was, uh, it's a trip, because I had just moved that day. The moving van came and moved. I was moving out of the hood to a bigger and better house. Well, <laughs> It was that day, April 29th, 1992. Earlier that day before the verdict, I remember going to the new house, telling my wife to move a van, you know, opening the new house and making sure everything was working, lights, boom, got the key from the, the, the like, escrow people right. and all that yeah. shit. And it was like the moving van, it's going to get our, la- our few things and then just follow them out to the house. So she followed him out to the house. So he was unpacking the house, and I had a meeting in uh, at at Universal. So I went up there for the meeting, and then during the meeting, they walked in. It was like, "Yo, the verdict came in, and it's not good." So and I was like, "What?" Because yeah. you know, you think we got they got him on tape. <laughs> got him on tape. He barely yeah. paying attention to the trial. Yeah. I was like, man, got the ass. And uh, it was like not guilty. So. My head was kind of fucked up. I didn't want to finish the meeting. I was like, man, I'm kind of dumb. So I wanted to get home and went to the house and start hearing the shit was going down. So the next day, I drove down back into the hood to check on my old house, you know, because we was in the new one, but we hadn't sold the old one yet. So, um, so I'm just checking on my shit, making sure they didn't come up there Burn me down, fuck it up, or, or loot it. You see everybody looting and running around like a fucking crazy. Well, make sure there ain't you know, guy in my neighborhood that got killed. And that day, April 30th, he's supposed to go down and see his you know, body over at the funeral home. Was right, was right in the middle of the shit. So that's why you, you see me driving through. Yeah. And get over there to the to the funeral home. The other guys is like, man, what the fuck are you doing down here? <laughs> man, we don't, man, you know, don't worry about this shit, man. You need to. You shouldn't be driving through this shit, man. Yeah. You gonna fucking. You know, you don't know what can happen, so. Coming down here to show my respect, they ain't check on my house, so whatever. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my experience with. And mm. just going back to my new house and shit. But you saw, you yeah. saw that, you saw them torn, you saw them tearing shit up. You saw, you saw it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Show fire. Hey. What did you think? What do you expect when you abuse people? They supposed to just take it. Dog won't even take a. You know, you hit a dog enough, his ass gonna start biting back. Right. An animal wouldn't even. Ain't even the laws of an animal do. Take abuse. So there are people who keep feeling like they need to oppress us and keep their foot on our necks. What are they? Do they expect us to do? It's only natural. They call Ferguson. Baltimore, LA riots, the Watts riots, they call that a riot, but like, people don't know or don't realize like the Boston Tea Party is a riot, it's not a party. (laughs) That's a good point. 
people riot when they sick of the shit. Yeah, well, the Boston Tea Party was property destruction. Yeah, it? it was. Right. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a party. <laughs> it's, it's property destruction against the oppressive government that's trying to implement some shit over the people, and they weren't going for it. I remember you, you used the word Armageddon. You saw possibly really more a lot of bad shit coming. At that time, yeah, I did. I figured we was a generation that wasn't gonna stop. But I think what really stopped us more than anything was the gang truce. I think it took a lot of our aggression to try to stir in a positive direction, which kind of took the fuel out the fire. But you know, I lasted for years, you know. Without the gang truce, you don't have death row. Without the gang truce, I don't think you have the West Side Connection, what I would deal with, with Mac-10, Dub C. Yeah. I don't know if you got Tupac in that direction. That's interesting. The gang truce allowed a lot of things to happen that would have never happened. Crips and Bloods when they never want to work together. Mm. On no level. So that gang truce is a big part of you know what happened after NWA. Under the music. It's also if you listen to your albums like in those the period of, there was you know there's a line about like what they did to JFK, what do you think they're going to do to me? There was like a certain personal, like, yeah, I think you felt targeted or there was like a certain sense that like, I don't know, what, what was what was going on with that? Yeah, I felt like what I was saying was just as incendiary, just as potent as Malcolm X or Martin Luther King or anybody else. I'm not saying that I'm sure, yeah. on that level, but I just know that the government has no problem with erasing you. They get tired of you. They do it to JFK. Are you surprised they never <laughs> got shot? Yeah. Are you surprised they never got you? I got on my side. That's why they ain't <laughs> got me. All I want is what any other red-blooded American would want. I'm not asking to take over and shit. I'm a fair shot. Not just for me. I mean, I'm fine. If I was selfish, I'd just be happy with where I am and be like, yo, I've got mine, you get yours. But trying to take over shit and trying to not trying to overthrow the government or yeah. do nothing but just you know, just be treated fair and equal. You know, it's easy to forget that when NWA first came out, it, as much as there were people in white America who were scared, offended, whatever, there also were, like, significant portions of in the black community who wouldn't play on the radio, thought it was a bad thing, like... Oh, yeah, you know, some people want to sweep things under the rug. Some people don't want our business to be out in the street. You know, so they get embarrassed admitting what goes on in our neighborhoods. I think we should keep that between ourselves. Right. Try some of the elders. I figured they, they can do it how they wanted to do it when it was their time. And I got to do it how I want to do it at my time. And the answers behind me got to do it how they want to do it when it's their time. So people can't tell me how to live, what to say. What inspires me to make music, it's like it's none of their business. And as an artist, I shouldn't be influenced by any of them. I should just be influenced by my own creativity and art. You know, I mean, of course I'm mature. I can speak on that now. As a youngster, I used to, you know, grapple with it a little bit. But then I always was like, what I'm saying I feel is the truth. We have fun with it. It's hip hop. It's bravado. We talk the shit, but at the core, what I'm saying, I feel, is my true point of view. So, as an artist, I owe it to the people to give them my true point of view and not a 
not be the artist they want me to be or be the artist that anybody want me to be. You know, just do it how you feel it. And some people are going to like it. Some people are going to say the shit is whack. You know, some people are going to say it's uncalled for or it's, it's uh, bringing us down or whatever the shit they want to say. But The fact that Gary directed Friday and that there's a scene in this movie we were writing Friday, it's like fucking... Yeah, it starts to... I got these moments, trust me, through the yeah. whole process. It's it's turning shit turning on its ear and even turning more. It's like you know, I wrote a song called Boys in the Hood that ended up being the 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 seed that that grew straight out of Compton the record. Through that Somebody discovered me and put me in a movie called Boys in the Hood. Right. And through doing that movie, I gained enough experience in the movie industry to be able to do a movie called Straight Out of Compton. So it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. doing that shit on me. And now, right. my, and my son is in it. And in the movie, he's like, playing me and with, with my wife and then you see a little version of him in the background of the movie right it just starts to make your mind spin like, you know. you're only 46 right so like yeah it, it's uh, like you got a lot hopefully a lot of living ahead of you I but, hope so but it's but to see this shit immortalized like this it must kind of make you think about just like the whole course of your life. Man, my life has been an amazing ride. And what's funny is we're still on that wave from Boys in the Hood. When I wrote that song, it just never stopped. It never stopped growing this career. So it's like to be able to do this movie and, and, and chronicle these moments immortalize these moments so to speak and for them to be so real for the cast to be so tight just I couldn't have dreamed that it would come out this record and then like all the records going forward hit so big with white suburban teenagers yeah. and the more shit you talked about <laughs> the more they like what how did you always, how did you always kind of make sense of that in your mind um I just felt like, yo, I need to I need to just tell it how I think it is. And I may be young, may not know shit about shit. But what I do know, or what I think I know, I'm gonna put on these records, man, and tell it how I think it is. And and I think people just like that and they respond to to that and you know, I was hitting some deep truths on those records, you know, that they might not learn in the history class or from their parents or whatever, but they can learn it from this music and, and maybe better understand themselves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just, I think, when you're hitting on the truth and you, you're striking a chord, everybody wants to be down with that. You know, Everybody that has something to say, everybody that's feeling something that want to be a part of that. You know, um, I used to bump like Nirvana records, right? Like, and you know how I, that dude grew up. How I grew up, totally different. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But he's striking a chord, a unseen chord sometimes. Of I'm feeling you as an artist. You know what I'm saying? I'm just yeah. feeling you. And you know, I might not understand every single thing you're going through, but as an artist, I'm feeling that you have passion and you have stuff to say. And if I could catch on to a couple of those things, I might be able to live my life better. I might be able to understand something I never knew. Right. And you that's know? how the whole thing works. Yeah. That's how it all works. You know, it's a give and take. So, you know, artists, I never felt like, I, mean, I got white kids listening to me. I need to tone it down. <laughs> you know, I don't, they don't want to tone it down. Yeah. They want it raw, 
Some people gonna be like turned off. Some people gonna be like, "Oh shit, give me more," you know. And so I just I go for the give me more people. <laughs> Chuck D always says that uh, that while like classic classic rock acts get all this respect and get to do the big tours, doesn't that it, it doesn't seem right that it, it's not quite the same in hip hop. Do you think that? I, I think it's gotten better. Yeah. You know, I think it's gotten better. I think it was a point where hip-hop was so out with the old and with the new. Out with, okay, I got it. we got that. And you got, you know, hip-hop, the audience is, you know, it's it stays young. You know what I mean? It's like right. it's always a new, younger audience discovering hip-hop. Yeah. So they're going to discover it and like the artists at the point that they come into it. Yeah. So... It's it, the artists are always you know it's like Menudo or some shit. It's always for every young. Yeah. So that's that's one aspect of it, but I believe that my generation is starting to say, hey, we still love hip hop. Yeah. But we don't want to see the youngsters. We want to see who we grew up on. Right. So we did the Kings of the Mic tour. It was it was me. LL, Chuck D, De La Soul. We sold out every fucking show. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that to me shows if you package it right, they coming. And all the the, the, the shows I'm on, uh, How the West was one, where, or, or Rock the Bells tour, or yeah. wherever they put all the old school artists together, it works, the yeah. fuckers come out. So yeah. I think we're, we're, we're stepping into a new day where... Dudes my age ain't ready to just be like, okay, music is for youngsters. We want to go to concerts, too. We want to jam, too. So, you know, it's like, I believe the market is starting to open up, and people are starting to realize that I don't want to throw away my favorite artists for a new artist. Right. I want my favorite artists to keep doing fucking <laughs> records. You know, forget if they on the radio. It don't matter. I was just I want to find him and I want to go sit in the concert. There, there were a couple moments that you know, that as much as NWA almost got back together before Easy's death, there also was like you you did that semi reunion with Snoop it, it, as an extra guy in the early two, and then there was talk of an album that was going to be like these motherfuckers again or something like that. And yeah. Like, like uh, and then Dre kind of pulled back, right? Was that frustrating or did you agree with that decision ultimately? I mean, I agree with it because, you know, look what he pulled back from. You know, first time it was Eminem. He, right. he was like, yo, I got to ride that way. Right. The next time it was 50 Cent. Right. So he was like, yo, these are two major artists that, and then the game too. So, you know, it was like, do I want to try to rekindle yeah. something old or do I want to roll with something new? Right. And it just makes sense to roll with the new, especially in the industry like hip-hop. You know, that's out with the old, in with the new. So, I, you know, I just think it... You don't want to work with Dre. And you don't want to do nothing with him if he's not really all the way feeling it. Right. Because it's probably never going to come out. Right, 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 right. You know what I mean? It's right, never right. going to come out. Right, so, so it's for the best. You want to work with Dre when he's feeling it, Feeling the song, feeling you. It's the moment in time is right, and that's how you benefit from it. If not, you just, you know, could be just spinning your wheels, and you know, if he off of it, maybe it shouldn't be. You know, maybe we should be moving to the next. You know, right. so I, you know, I take it, at, take heed to it. Like, yo, maybe it ain't the time, ain't the place. Do you, do you have a fire to, to have like a hit record of your own again or, or just doing it on the scale you've, you've been doing it with indie records and just kind of hitting for your own fans is that cool with you or, or do you, you think like you'd like to do it I mean every artist want to be hot in the street yeah. you know what I mean it's like that's the fun yeah. that's the high that not too many people can achieve you know not even throughout the industry you know it's only a few artists that's hot at Sure. At, at, at certain times and then you gotta step aside for somebody else to yeah. be hot so everybody want that but to reach for that to yearn and beg and try to go to radio and see if they still understand what I'm about and all this it, it's not worth it right 
what's worth it is to do what I feel and record it and kind of let the chips fall where they may and let the let the fans get the pure ice cube and not the industry cube that's trying to get on the radio right. that's trying to get his video so I can you know I'm past that I right. just want to be a pure artist that can just go do what I feel put it out and be happy with whatever it sell or what it don't sell or if people buy it at all just hear it and like it or whatever just be happy with that was there a point in that you became less angry than the like the not that there's any reason to be, but I mean, did, did be less angry because there's plenty to be angry about. But was there a point that you personally let go of some of the anger that characterized you as like a 19 or 21, 22, 23, or, or is that all still there? Not really. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's still there. Yeah. You know, it's like you understand how the world works a little more, which, you know, makes you. Think about what you're going to say more, you know, by, by having a better understanding, you know. And when you're young, sometimes you don't understand sh- shit and you just lash, lash, lash at it. You, when you grow to understand, sometimes you feel like I can attack that in a better, and more constructive way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, it's easy for me to go out and say, fuck the police, fuck everything, fuck the world. You know what I'm saying? But that's that's not going to help you. You know what I'm saying? What's going to help you is for me to be able to say, fuck the police, and here's how. You know what I'm saying? Or... To be the example of how to get out the hood. Not just make a record that the hood is fucked up, but look at me. Look at my career. Look at what I've done. That's your example. Not a record. Not a movie. Not one thing that I've done, but everything that I've done. So I've looked at it like that. I am the example of how to get out. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're playing some of my 2015 interview with Ice Cube, and I think in this segment, he starts off by talking about his intentions for the Straight Outta Compton movie. Let's hear that. But it's a sign of the times movie, too. You know, it has to put the people back into the 80s, into the 90s, see why we did the music. You know, not just, you know, we some young, angry you know, niggas out of South Central, but why do we, why do we make them kind of records? Is the question, right? And that I hope we answer somewhat in the movie. The first answer for people who completely didn't understand was probably, uh, you know, Rodney King and the LA riots. Mm-hmm. Maybe woke up some people up, and then you know, past couple of years, people started to become aware again that it's like there's a Rodney King every day. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's incredible. What's 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 sad is that the, the fuck the police record was I say four hundred years late. To know that it's been a constant. There's been a thousand Rodney Kings every year that we don't hear about. It's just now with technology we able to really see. Right these pockets of bullshit that you know poor people have been dealing with forever you know what I mean so what's good is that what's done in the dark comes to light and what's bad is that the shit is even done in the dark you know that's that's kind of what's what's still you know terrible about the situation and still what makes our movie relevant today, you know, makes NWA relevant today. So growing up, it's true that Dre was just a couple houses down, is that like yeah. that close? So did you know him even as little kids or, or like? No, nah, no, nah, he, he moved over there after he had did his first record, That's right. Dr. Dre's surgery, like 84, 
85, we moved over here. And, um, you know, we just started hanging. And Sir Jinx connected you, was that yeah, the Yeah, Sir Jinx, is, he was uh, one of my homeboys that we hung out. You know, Sir Jinx actually, you know, showed me a lot about hip-hop. You know, hip-hop was new. Yeah. Jinx was, like, advanced. You know, he was at turntables, he was scratching, he was... Break dancing, you know, cardboard and shit everywhere. You know what I'm saying? He just was a b boy before all of us. We were still in the Lakers and the Raiders and girls and shit. You know, we weren't really into hip hop and started dibbling and dabbling. We hear his beats coming out of his house and shit, and I would be interested. So I would go start hanging with Jinx a little more and start rapping. He helped me rap on beat. You know yeah. what I mean? I used to rap, but I didn't have a beat, so I just rap all over the place. So yeah. he's like, nah, you gotta, you gotta catch this beat right here, and you gotta be on time. And so, you know, we we worked it, and we had a group together, a stereo crew. So we was always waiting for Dre to pop over and show him what we got. And then Dre ended up moving with Jinx. And so I saw him all the time, so. We was able to really develop a cool relationship. And, you know, he was he was moonlighting. He was doing records for other people on the side, beats and shit. And I would help him write hooks, write little shit. And then I started helping him write songs for the record crew. And one of the songs I wrote became a local hit. Is that Cabbage Patch? Cabbage Patch. Yeah. It became like a local hit. So... He really had confidence in me then. So we started doing these neighborhood mixtapes. talking about the neighborhood. And, you know, it was really like the beginning of our style. And um, shit started catching on. And then Easy e got a hold of one of those tapes and kind of hunted Dre down. And made that connection. So that's kind of how. The style of like I listen to uh, you know you listen to CIA songs like my posse it's like it's like uh, Run DMC and a little like Beastie Boys right yeah I mean, you know <laughs> it was big we was big fans of 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 uh, License to Ill big fans of Run DMC at the time when we did that record so Dre had us fucking in there damn near emulating that style you know but it was cool it just wasn't the shit. The records we was doing for the mixtapes were the shit. Mm. Like street records talking about the neighborhood and what's going on. Were there were there sort of what you would might have called reality rap songs you were doing before Boys in the Hood? Was that was it that was not really the first one in that style or, or Yeah, it was it was reality raps. You know, before Boys in the Hood, these were all just you know, 16 bars at the beginning of a mixtape. It's real quick shit, nothing long. But, you know, we can say what we want to say. And we, can, you know, we knew they weren't going to be sold nowhere but in the neighborhood. So it was, hmm. it was more, I guess, it just made more sense to, to bring our thinking down to a neighborhood level instead of thinking that we're going to be the Beastie Boys and shit. Right. On the world tour with Mr. Malcolm McLaren and shit, you know what I mean? It was like we we didn't have no fucking thoughts of grandeur like that. It just was like this shit gonna be hood shit. Let's talk about hood shit, and then that became our signature style. Was was uh, what did you hear that was doing that kind of thing? It's at six in the morning, right? That was a six in the morning. This is even a little before six one. Mm. I think the first thing we heard was PSK, Schooly D, Just Ice. They had this dirty ass rap called Latoya. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like the nasty version of Lottie Dottie. <laughs> um, and Blowfly had rap dirty. You know, so it was just like these fringe raps that were X-rated. So it's as much the dirty part as the street reality part, right? That was it. That, that was it. Was almost like that was first, like the fucking cursing and just yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you know the thing is, is hip hop. 
you know, before it was all about talking about horror shit. It was like, how clever are you? How right? How um, damn near funny you can be. You know what I mean? How entertaining can you be with a rap? So you know, to rap, to rap, you know, people like Blowfly and shit like that was they had they had the style to me down packed. He was talking dirty. And, Cussing, he was rhyming, and but he was talking about some fly shit, right? That pertained to him. So, to me, that style was just—it was raw, but it was perfect for him. You know, and some of that stuff you were doing live, right? Like Diane, you had a thing. Did you have a thing called Diane? Diane, that was with like Roger yeah, yeah. yeah, we uh, you know, we we was gonna do a show, and Dre was like, "Man, you gotta, y'all have to be clever." Because just getting up there rapping, nobody want to hear that shit. Y'all got to do something that's entertaining and clever. So what we did was take Roxanne, Roxanne, and flipped it into this dirty rap called Diane, Diane. Do you, shit. do you remember it? Yo, Kate. Yo, Kate, Yo, what's up, man? They got that bitch they call Diane. Damn. I don't know. It was just we took their whole rap and flipped it, flipped it, yeah. And the crowd went crazy. And you know, all these things were helping us figure out what we needed to do. And then Easy just was like, "I want to do those kind of records. I mean, I want to do records, but I want them to be hard and dirty. I don't want to do clean shit y'all trying to get played on the radio." Yeah. So, what what was your uh, what was your first impression of Easy? A little hustler. Yeah. Yeah. A little hustler, like, right? It's like a little dope dealer. Just feel it. It's a track shoot. You know, this shit was just all fresh and clean. A little jewelry on. You can just tell somebody's doing it. Did you like it in first class? Mm-hmm. I admired him, you know, this shit. Making money in right. the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? Right. He had money. He had his clientele. He was doing this shit. Didn't ask nobody for shit. So, yeah. I'm done. Did he, he came to Dre, as far as you know, and said, I want to do a label, or maybe start out with a record store, or is this more of a Dre? I mean, I'm I, curious I, what, you, what your I, version of the... I, you know, all I know is, like, him and Dre was powwowing. A lot. Yeah. And you know, he just was like, Yeah, I'm gonna start Rufus Records. You know, so I probably had to talk to Dre on really what turned him on to do that. But you know, Dre was like, Alright. And we, he had this group that he was gonna put on Easy's label called HBO. Right. And um he told me to write something for him. Yeah, he didn't tell HBO what I was writing. <laughs> so, you, did you, were you sitting in English class at high school writing that? That's the, that's the yeah, kind of legend, yeah? Yeah, I was in a lot of classes writing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like scribbling in a notebook while you were not paying attention? I was writing rhymes, you know what I mean, while shit was going on, you know. It was more interesting than, than the English I was learning. <laughs> How, you read, you listen to that now, uh, and it's still like a really impressive piece of work. Like there's a lot, there's so much going on in that, so much vivid imagery, so much life in it. Like how, was that? How much of that was was you know the details were made up, or how much of it was stuff you'd observed, or how much like what we were, it was all to me neighborhood shit that yeah. that we all seen, heard, or went through growing up. You know, it's like it was just accumulation of all kind of crazy shit that we kind of grew up privy to and just put in the line. And it was, it was like, I mean, to a certain extent, there was a certain fantasy because you weren't that gangster. You were a kid who hadn't been involved in anything like a lot of that stuff. Well, you know, it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to grow up in South Central and be completely clean of anything. Yeah. So it don't matter what age you are, all that shit is affecting you. All that shit is coming right to your doorstep. You know, 
So you can't get out the way. You know, it's like you either you either embrace it or get ran over by it. So our way to embrace it not only was dealing, but was to make music too. You know, you know, it's, it's just hard to explain how you know you just you can't be in, from the neighborhoods and just come out squeaky clean. It just it just don't. Pretty city. You you know you had a father and an older brother, mm-hmm. and so there was a, a lot of stability to kind of keep you. Yeah, it was like more shit to deal with than gangbangers, you know what I mean? It was like, you dealt with gangbangers in the street, but, you know, I was going to have to deal with my pops 24-7. I was going to have to deal with my brother 24-7. So, fortunately, I just started doing positive shit before I really got caught up, you know. It was like the music, doing hip-hop, playing sports basketball, football, you know, I stayed doing shit. Did you actually, were you actually thrown out of the studio to, to stop laughing at easy with the, all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, it was, uh, it got to a point where, you know, it was in there so long, it was just like, it was better for us to, to leave. You know, it got abbreviated for the movie, but it got to a point where it was just better. So Drake could just focus on easy, easy wasn't worried about us. He wouldn't worry about how he sounded. If the shit came out stupid, nobody would ever know. Yeah. You know, I was like, it was just all done to make him comfortable. You sort of, I mean, you created, <laughs> you created Easy E the rapper in that moment, you know, and then, then you created someone whose solo album came out way before you got to do one and all that. That's a weird, yeah. I mean, that was a weird feature of the thing, right? Is that, that, uh, the, the, the Easy Does It came out like three months, I think, before Straight Outta Compton. Did you, at the time, did that start to ring alarm bells for you, or was it, you were just happy to, what was your thoughts on it? It was dope, you know, yeah. it was like, he was the star that, that we, you know, all created, so to speak, and, you know, he was blowing up, and... You know, with NWA, he was actually spreading the love. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I'm blowing up. Now, if I'm, if I'm blowing up and then I'm part of this crew, then the crew going to blow up with me. So it was just, you know, it was just, that's how it happened. We was just happy somebody out the damn crew was blowing up. Right. And that we wasn't going to be just stuck as locals. How much? Like, how much of his rhymes were you writing? At the beginning, mostly all of them. You know, and then, as the albums start coming, you know, Rand started writing something in DLC. So it was between us three. And did you have, like, a a character in mind for him? Because you, you definitely wrote differently for him than you would write for yourself, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of had his own persona that yeah. was, you know... People used to think he was 15 for a long time, you know, so it's like he was down there like a not really like a cartoon image, but you could do anything, you know, from I mean, we had a Gumby fucking ride, you know. He was one set back from around the right. So it was like that easy name was just like something you could play with, fuck with, you know. Remind me of Bootsy or somebody. It was like, mm. you could. That's a know, good comparison. I like that. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. just that name where you could do anything with it. You know, he could have been a fucking action figure or whatever he wanted to do with that. Right. You know, it was it was the perfect persona to play with. You know, it was bad, but it was, you know, vivid, you know. Like a Chucky doll or something, you know. It's just like (laughs) this fucking thing that's you know got a life of its own. At some point, though, you split and like went to college for a while. Yeah, you know, I I just West Coast hip hop at the time was just so in its infancy. 
we never knew it was going to come off the launching pad. We never knew it was going to blow. So I wanted to have something to fall back on, you know, and going to a technical trade school was, was the best thing to do. Then you, but you came back, and then, like, what was the situation with the records at that point? Like, what? Because shit was blowing up. Yeah, you know, everybody so. was, they was doing shows. We had, you know, setting up tours and all kind of stuff. So it was in full swing when I got back. It was actually after you'd already recorded Strata Compton at that point, or no? No, you recorded. I got back. You recorded NWA and the Posse. You recorded. Yeah, those were. NWA and the Posse wasn't really an album, it was just. All of our singles they put together. Right. Got it. And some of our guys that we was associated with. So that was never really a sanctioned NWA album. It was more of a record company's compilation. Mm -hmm. You know, so the album, when I I got back, they were starting to work on Easy Does It. Right. And from there, we went from Easy Does It straight to Straight Outta Compton. The uh, were you your high school were you bust into like a, a white neighborhood? Yeah, or, I was bust know? into the uh, San Fernando Valley. Uh huh. So like thirty miles or something. Thirty. It was a thirty mile bus ride. Some shit like that. Twenty five, thirty. Yeah. Every day. Every day. That's crazy. That's, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. really far. So and not I mean far geographically and also far culturally. Right. Yeah. That was a, what did you take away from, from from seeing that? That damn, we really are poor. <laughs> I was doing pretty good. <laughs> we really don't have shit in our neighborhoods. It was like going to the Brady Bunch every day, to be honest. <laughs> Part, you know, going to the Partridge family. It's like. Jumping in a bus full of black kids from the hood into these white schools. A little culture shock, but you know, after a while you was able to deal. I think you once used the word injustice to talk about what you saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just the haves and the have nots. You know, you just see everything's better. From books to classrooms to facilities to teachers like everything was better out there than going there to Washington my local school I don't think I would have had a perspective I have on things if I just went to the school in the hood I wouldn't be as yes worldly in a lot of ways yeah it's normal <clears throat> I think that's what helped me be able to deal with Jerry Heller. Uh huh. There was no intimidation factor at all. He looked like one of my bullshit history teachers and shit. <laughs> I, I wonder if it also did it also help you maybe to be suspicious of him from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it made me know how to deal with white people. You know what I'm saying? In the hood, you. You don't come across them, you don't know how to deal with them. Just made me realize that, you know, we're pretty much all the same. It's nothing different or new. You know, right is right, wrong is wrong. Real shit is real shit, bullshit is bullshit. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> and there's something that the your sort of actual experience with the police harassment. Mm-hmm. When how consistent was that? When did it? How old were you when it started? It's, it's just I don't know nobody from the hood who ain't really been fucked with by the police at some point. And when you're in the hood, they get you early. They get you. They start fucking with you when you're nine, ten, just to just to put that intimidation in you. You know, just to start intimidating you at an early age. They make sure they fuck with you. Even if you, whether you did nothing or not, it's just like, we got to make sure we're imprinting our fucking stamp on these young dudes that we might have to deal with when they get a little older. So, you know, they start at an early age fucking with you, pulling you off your bike, making you 
Put your hands on the hood. You'd be sitting, fucking nine, ten-year-olds sitting on grass, just play football. This motherfucker swoop up and fuck with you. And it just happens all through the fucking life. You know what I mean? Until you either get out the neighborhood or, you know, whatever you do. But it's just, as a teenager, it just happened all the fucking time. All the time. Even recording the records, we just get fucked with. The torrents. Just like in the movie, is it? Just like in the movie. Yeah. Just fucking with you. You know? Fucking with you if you're bad. Fucking with you if you're good. Don't matter. I mean, it's, it's easy, to, not, not to point out the obvious, but it's like, you know, the police are the uh, most visible representative just of, like, the... You're basically being told... They're, they're like society itself, right? They're, like, the, the representative. They're supposed to be keeping... Purportedly, you know, keeping peace, you know, enforcing the law. And what you're being told from 9 and 10 is that society is against you, that... You're not. I mean, it, it's it, you know, it's a prof- a profound and fucked up thing. If you really, yeah, can. yeah, you know, and I think it's systematic. You know, it's like make sure you, you fucking put a good imprint. You know what I mean on these young ones, so they know to fucking be scared of you when they get older. But you keep having these incidents, and the and this fear turns into resentment. Frustration and hatred. You know, that's what it turned into. When uh, fuck, the, fuck the police itself. By one account, you had like some. You had like maybe the chorus or a little bit of it. And Dre at first wasn't necessarily into it at first. Is that do you remember? Yeah. That? Well, Dre was. He had to go and do weekends in the county, so. He didn't want them. He was like, man, we ain't about to do this song. I got to go to the county every fucking weekend. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not about to give these motherfuckers no extra room to fuck me up in, in jail. Right. So he didn't want to do it at that time until he got, until he, you know, I guess got off of that, that uh, weekend furlough, whatever the fucking shit is, weekend something. Mm. You gotta go to jail every Friday. Get out every Monday. <laughs> it's like weekend jail. So while while we was while he was doing that, he didn't want it to have nothing to do with the song. But you know, months later when I brought it back up, he wasn't he wasn't uh, under that condition or whatever. So he was with it. You uh, this certain bravery. In the lyrics of that song, I mean, it, like, I don't know to what extent you thought it was even going to be heard. You know how widely you thought it was going to be heard, but you know, like, you're literally threatened. I mean, it, it's like, you know, it's it, it's like, in some sense, you must have known that you couldn't have predicted that the FBI was going to write you a letter. But in some sense, you must have known this would it would stir up some shit in somewhere or another. I remember recording a song and ran looked at me said, out of all our songs, this one's this one right here gonna start some shit. So, it's like we had a sense. That's what we wanted to do. Well, it's like, why do it? Right. If the song ain't gonna make the police mad, why the fuck do it? <laughs> <laughs> to, to call it straight out of Compton, to make, to make that such a big part of your identity and the songs, like, what's the thought behind that? If you well, can? I mean, at the time, I mean, everybody was calling out their hoods. If you was from a borough, you know, it was Brooklyn's in the house. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bronx, yeah. we down Bronx, money-making Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uptown. Everybody was talking shit about where they from. But, but it was all New York. It's it's all New York. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that, that's what yeah. Easy's whole thing is we got to put Compton on the map. Right. You know, that was this whole fucking thing that even people in L.A. was embarrassed to say they was from Compton. Mm. <laughs> Compton was just like, Yo, the the worst of the worst. Uh-huh. So Easy was like, man, I'm be proud of Compton. So he wanted to put Compton on the map day one. He was like, man, motherfuckers yelling all that Brooklyn shit all the time. Motherfuckers yelling the Bronx. Motherfuckers <laughs> yelling out they hoods. Let's yell out Compton. So 
know, it's kind of like how it happened. There was also a sense that, like, just West Coast hip-hop in general needed to be established much more strongly, right? It, it, it yeah. Felt like... Yeah, you know, Ice-T had done a lot to bridge the gap, but it was still, you know, still a lot of uh, work needed to be done. Somebody else needed to, to solidify what he was doing a little bit. A whole nother group with a whole nother flavor that had music that was, you know, worldwide or nationwide or whatever. So, uh, you know, it was a sense of pride, but not to where we were saying, you know, what we're doing is better. Or we was just, it was more like, look at us too. You know, we wanted to be accepted into the hip hop nation. And that is our show for today. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Please subscribe to us as a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, stay safe. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.